Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Future of Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Hoffman. On this episode, I am joined by Alon Friedman. He is the founding executive director of ENTER, the Jewish Peoplehood Alliance, a social startup whose vision is to ensure the Jewish people remain a dynamic, diverse, global community that is united, secure, and inclusive. From 2012 to 2019, he served as head of the Israel office of Hillel International and as CEO of the Hillels of Israel, operating eight campus centers across the country. He is also a frequent speaker on Jewish peoplehood, identity, and leadership, as well as Israeli society and culture. Enjoy my conversation with Alon Friedman. Alon, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I've been looking forward to this episode because I actually don't get to speak to a lot of born and raised Israelis who are working in the Jewish field. So I really am looking forward to this episode. But before we get into what you're working on today, why don't you give us a peek behind the curtain of, you know, your background, where you were born and raised exactly, and how you got to where, where you are today. All right. First of all, thank you. It's, I'm, I'm happy to spend this hour with you. And, uh, and thank you for doing this, because uh, on its own, it serves a great, uh, a great purpose. So I'm, I'm honored and delighted. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, the born and raised, noladeti gadalti, as we say in Hebrew, is always the most important thing for me when I interview people. I always want to start there because, you know, everything else can fit on a, on a one-page piece of paper, but the born and raised is really what, uh, what builds you. I remember a, a fortune cookie that I found some one time on a, in a very cheap um, Asian meal somewhere in New York, and, and the, the note it said, inside said, 99% of your assets are standing in your shoes. And I, I took this note with me, and it was on my, you know, on my cork board on every office I've, I've, I've had in the past 20 years, I think. And I found a lot of wisdom in it because, you know, what we bring with us um, is, the, is this nolati gadati, is this born and raised uh, to every position that we do. So my background is uh, of, a, of a secular um, Israeli boy, born in Tel Aviv, um, made Aliyah to Jerusalem when I was two, for ideological reasons, of course. And then my parents followed. But uh, no, uh, um, you know, circumstances brought me to, to be raised in Jerusalem, in secular Jerusalem, in the neighborhood of Betakera. Um, so pretty much uh, um, a bubble. And, um, and growing as, a, as an involved Israeli young person in Jerusalem, um, I got, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was in the scouts and I was a volunteer in Magen David uh, on ambulances every Saturday at 6 a.m. Uh, for six hours, and I was doing a lot of things that um, young, involved people do. Um, one major blind spot was um, was the other half of the family who doesn't live at home. I mean, you know, for us uh, growing up in Israel, the, the the one thing we knew about Jews not from Israel is that they send money so that we can keep Israel. Um, so that was kind of the equation, you know, they support from the outside, but we go to the army and, you know, rebuild the country and hold it. And if they need anything, they'll know where to find us. Um, but there was nothing deeper than that. Um, names of, of American Jews you could find on, you know, on ambulances because they were donated or, on, you know, flakes and in all kinds of community centers when you went into to play basketball. So you could see exactly who donated the basketball home, but that, that was, that was about it. And, um, 
when I finished uh, high school, I went to the to Boyer High School in Jerusalem. And when I finished high school and was ready to go to the army, I, I again, I was politically involved in a way and I was well aware of everything that's a gap, if you will, or that's on the agenda in Israeli society, kind of the, the gap between religious and secular, Ashkenazi and Sephardi, rich and poor, center and periphery, Arab and Jew, religious and secular. But again, Israel diaspora was not there. It was, it was absent. And today I know how, how loud this absence was, but back in the time, you know, when it's absent, it's just, it's just not there. You're not aware. And um, after serving in the army for four years, um, I remember one Friday, my, my mother put a newspaper on, on, the, on the table when we were, you know, at the lunch or something, one of the weekends, and she said, hey, here's a, here's a job opening which you may want to pursue. I was then between army and, and, and university, and I had a few, few months of nothing which were, you know, locked with my future in the, in the academia, and it was a, a, um, an ads, a wanted ads for uh, Madridin, for counselors to be escorting groups of American teenagers who were coming to Israel on, uh, on uh, summer trips. And uh, my mom said, you know, you have decent English, and, uh, you know, it's right in the summer before you start university, so why did you Check it out, and I did, and and that was that was the the random turn that um, today, twenty five, almost thirty years later, um, brought me to where I am. I'm still I'm still stuck in this field of uh, of Israel diaspora relations, Zionist education, Israeli society, uh, um, Jewish identity, Israeli secular Jewish identity, whatever. All those all those you know hashtags that you can put. Um, Around around this uh, this field, I'm still there professionally, very very involved, very happy. But yet, it is uh, it is one of the best kept secrets in Israeli society till today. My wife. Yeah, I want to I want to ask you about that because you don't meet a lot of Israelis that work in this field. Um, in fact, you do meet a lot of Israelis who have nothing, as you sort of pointed out in your story growing up, who just have no knowledge even awareness i would say forget knowledge just awareness that there's like a quote-unquote jewish world or a jewish ecosystem or a jewish industry whatever you want to call it like they don't even realize that it exists i mean i've spoken to a lot of my friends and uh, girls that i've dated that they're like wait what like what are you talking about and so you know i find it very interesting when israelis like yourself and there are of course a lot of israelis working in the field but but compared to the total israeli population not a lot i would say what, you know, when you look at being, when you look at the full ecosystem and you look at the fact that so many Israelis uh, are not, you know, even aware that it exists, let alone working or supporting or contributing to it, uh, what would you say to sort of the general Israeli population about why they should care? Yeah, that's the toughest question because it's it's hard to... It's not, you know, it's not something that you don't know that's there and then you realize, you find out about it and, and all of a sudden you see, oh yeah, that could be relevant. No, we, we, start, we start with a sub-zero position. Uh, I mean, the little that people know about, you know, Jews outside of Israel is mostly around the conflicts because, you know, they, oh yeah, women of the wall, yeah, and, 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 and uh, reforms that are, you know, your average Israeli will, will, will defend the Orthodox synagogue that they never set foot in just so that reforms don't don't get you know they're they're uh, they're part of the Jewish religion. It's it's ridiculous how 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 those you know five second sound bites have, have, have 
kill their uh, on every field. It's not just not just in Israel diaspora uh, relations, but but the the little that people know um, makes them um, the um, I mean the ignorance drags um, sometimes you know condescend being condescending and 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 we need to persuade without without um, sounding uh, messianic or you know or preaching. Um, why why do you care about the fact that we're Jews, we're all, we're all people, right? I mean, in today's lives, my friends will tell me, what, what is it, a religious thing? And uh, what are you, what are you nationalistic? What are you right-wing all of a sudden? And, you know, people really don't know, even know which drawer to label it under. What, what is it? Which file does it go to? Why is it important? And, and our, our, our persuasion pitch, you, you can't do it in an elevator. Even if you climb many, many, many flights up, it's uh, it's it's deeper. And and what we're trying to say is, you know, we have a story. Um, what is a people? Take two parents and two kids. It's a family. Add the aunts and the grandmothers. You know, it's it's a clan. Chamula. It's a tribe. Add another circles, another two circles around that, and that's that's the people. It's an extension of mishpacha. And we have a story. And we've been around for 3,000 years. We contributed quite a lot, proportionally way more than our, than our you know, share in, in, in numbers, in terms of numbers in, in the world's population. And, and it's a good story. And you know, I used to, 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 to give the, the example of being a redhead, which you can't see on the podcast. But uh, well, you can't see because I don't have much hair on my head also. But as a redhead to a redhead, looking at you now on the Zoom screen, um, you know when you pass across a, a, another redhead in the street and you you have like this little glimpse of a second where you you don't even nod to each other but you know that you belong to the same story you share something there and even if you don't talk and don't blink and don't you know nothing it, it's there and and with and with Jews it's 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 the same thing only much 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 more engraved you know with actual assets cultural and spiritual and historical assets of a shared Shared uh, not just a shared history, but also a shared destiny. It's it's mamash mishpacha. If you meet a Jew, you have so much to talk about, just for the fact that you belong to the same mishpacha. And in Israel, you miss it. And and the absurd of being the only one and only existing Jewish state on the planet, which is not aware of the fact that another half of that same family doesn't live in that one existing Jewish state on the planet. And they're the family that we have to be in touch with, you know. When my sister moved to Connecticut, she didn't stop being my sister. I still talk to her every time when there's stuff going on with our mother, you know, we we are our mother's children. Same thing, and it just didn't catch in Israeli society because of you know a lot of historical narratives. So I want to ask you about that because you know, obviously, there as you mentioned, there's a lot of reasons probably why it didn't catch on in Israeli society, but if you could point to one institution or one area of the society and say, here's where we can be doing a better job. I mean, is it the education system? Is it something else? Where, where do you see as being maybe a good place to start? Yeah, I'll start by saying that I am optimistic. I think we're, we're, we're going in the right direction, even though we're all the time we're surrounded by conflicts and almost every context of Jewish, of Israel diaspora Jewry comes in only when there's conflict. I think we're going in the right direction for the simple reason that the thing that I think uh, maybe compromised the global Jewish 
feeling of belonging to each other and being one city is all being one uh, one people is also the one thing that gave us the most beautiful you know gift of this time and era which is the jewish state because when 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 zionism before israel zionism was an idea that could be shared by many and not shared by others but it was definitely a jewish story because there was no israel so the Jewish story of Zionism was something that Jews talked about. Do we need a state? Do we not need a state? How do we do it? How do we? Once we got the state in 1948, and we basically said, okay, now Jews in the world have a place to be, which is going to be sovereign and theirs to hold and maintain. Now, in order to justify that, you need to bring all the Jews into that place, because otherwise, why did you do this place? And, and Zionism won, which is let's create a Jewish state, in 1948 replaced into Zionist Zionism 2, 2.0, if you will, which is, okay, now we have a state, now everybody needs to come here. And we're still, we're still stuck in Zionism 2.0, and we need to move to Zionism 3.0, which basically says, yes, we have a state, but the state belongs to the family, even if the family, all the family doesn't live in that state. And that's going to be Zionism 3.0, which very much has to do with peoplehood, which is what we're trying to create. If we would have had here in Israel a Jewish identity that's based on the fact that all Jews are the same family, belong to the same people, and share a destiny and, a, and, and, and values, then we, we wouldn't have had to be stuck, quote unquote, with Zionism 2.0, which is basically negation of the diaspora. But perhaps without the negation of the diaspora in the first few decades of the state, we wouldn't have been able to maintain the state and keep it as strong and sovereign as it is. So it's um it's kind of a limbo zone, but it's uh but it's also going in the right direction because I think now that you see so many Israelis choosing to leave the state in order to have better lives for themselves without having to give up on their Jewish identity, even more so, some of them only find out about their Jewish identity once they leave. The state of Israel, because here they didn't need to think about it. Once they're there, all of a sudden, wow, they have a different label on their forehead, and now they need to deal with that. So, do they have any connection to Jewish communities outside? Are they just Israeli? Are they also Jewish? But we're going there. I think I think we're getting better and better. So you know, it's it's funny you mention that because there's the old joke where Israelis leave Israel as Israelis and come back to Israel as Jews, and so. I'm wondering, you know, looking at solutions to this problem, and you mentioned the fact that you're an optimist, which I really appreciate. Is it a matter of just sending more Israelis abroad, whether it's, uh, you know, emissaries or whether it's relocations or what have you, so that they can have that perspective that maybe they don't have because they were born and raised here and they take it for granted? Or are there other opportunities that you see that might be better than that? I mean, how do you, how do you look at some of these solutions? The... the, the... The answer is yes, definitely. More Israelis will be sent to encounter and see how Jewish life can and does happen outside of the Jewish state. The more they will realize that Judaism is way more than being a Jew who's born in Israel and lives in a Jewish state. Um, and this concept, which which in our you know in our common professional language is called reverse taglit, doing those reverse tagliot. Um, is something that I would I would wish you know for 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 it to be you know a part of the socialization process of every Israeli. If every school, um, you know, twice 
once when they're, I don't know, in, in elementary or middle school, and one there once before they finish high school, go on a, on, a, on a tour to meet Jewish life outside of this one, whether it's in the US, Canada, Latin America, South Africa, Australia, doesn't matter where, um, the better Israeli society would have been in regards to our relationship with Jews. So reverse, reverse uh, or, or Israelis getting to know Jewish life outside of Israel is definitely a big thing. And it's a help. It's helpful for our, for our disconnect, if you will, for not understanding each other. Of course, it costs a lot of money, and you can't always find the right frameworks to do it. But yes, looking backwards, you mentioned Shlichuyot. Thousands of Israelis go on summer camps in America, right, and, and, and elsewhere in Europe and in Latin America. Um, and we go, you know, they those young Israelis go as, as a staff, you know, as rope score specialists or music or dance specialists or in bank madrichim or, or whatever. And, and, and that they also experience this, I went in Israeli, I came back a Jew. Nobody tells those Israelis, go to a summer camp and learn what it means to be Jewish in America. If they would have told it to them, nobody would have gone to the summer camp because then he would go exactly immediately into this defense position of, oh, don't brainwash me, that's indoctrination. And whatnot. No, go and be a rope score specialist. You're a post army, you know, nice Israeli before high before a university, or you're between high school and university. Go on a shnatcheru, do things, you know, bring Israel to the world. Israelis love that. They don't realize that while packing Israel to take with them, they're going to bring back so much Judaism into Israel um, that that really changes their lives forever, and that's what happened to most of us. We got exposed through some random, you know, ad in the paper or a or a shnatshirut opportunity or a summer camp opportunity. We wanted a free ticket to America, so we said, okay, I'll be three weeks in some forest by the Delaware River, but then I get to tour America, so I'll do it. And you never realize what what uh, ahead of time what this experience of being with other Jews. Uh, uh, will 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 create to you as a as a as a Jewish Israeli person. So yes, it's definitely it's definitely necessary, um, and the reason is simple, Josh, because Judaism in Israel is limited. It's very very um, narrow, because it's mostly in the context of praxis. It's a religion which you practice or not practice. So if somebody asks you if you're Jewish, well, I don't know, do I keep Shabbat? Do I fast on Yom Kippur? Do I eat chametz and Pesach? That's, that's, that's pretty much the, you know, the, the size of the, of the context that this discussion will take you. But outside of Israel, oh my God, the, the, the fact that you guys have been um, in, a, in a constant need to, 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 con to conserve your identity, and to live as minorities, you had to develop your Judaism all the time and march with times. And, 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 and that's why Judaism outside of Israel is so much more pluralistic and diverse and egalitarian and advanced in so many, many ways that um, in Israel, where orthodoxy rules, everything that's new is, is disqualified on the threshold. Um, while good Judaism, in my eyes, is, has to be renewed all the time. Uh, so it becomes, you know, so it remains relevant. That's why I think the solution for uh, for creative Judaism is, is, as of now, is outside of the of the, of the Jewish state, as it serves in itself. But I think what's interesting is that, you know, you were the, if I if I read correctly, 
you were from 2012 to 2019 the head of the Israel office of Hillel International and also the CEO of the Hillels of Israel, operating something like eight campus centers across the country. So to me, it seems like maybe a two-way street is the best solution here, where we do have more Israelis traveling the world in different capacities, but we also bring parts of Jewish life and Jewish culture and Jewishness from outside of Israel into Israel, such as the example with Hillel. I'm just curious from your time there, you know, was that something that you were able to, uh, with Hillel, uh, maybe give local Israelis a, a, a taste of what it means to be Jewish outside of Israel? Or do you still feel that ultimately we have to send more Israelis around the world as much as possible? Uh, I think I think both because sending as many Israelis outside of Israel is not in order to make the you know it's not a one-way ticket. It's in order to go and you know like you do on a professional basis, you go to the you sit in a company and you go to the headquarters where every, where, where the you know where the development center is and you go and learn and you bring it back to your to your home. So so that that's that's the that's the reason behind sending as many Israeli students to meet with Jews outside of Israel in order to understand that Judaism is relevant for them and that they can import many um, methods of living Jewishly and celebrating their Judaism and caring about it uh, from outside of Israel. But, uh, but of course, because you cannot send everybody out, you want to you wanna bring things in and, and, and using both people, you know, a lot of birthright tricks and, and other students who are coming into Israel as part of cultivating Jewish identity outside of Israel um, is something that we use for our students uh, um, all the time. But you need to remember that both things that we're talking about now are we're defining the target crowd as the Israeli students. We wanna we wanna we wanna strengthen Israeli strengthen Jewish identity within Israelis. So either send them out or bring in something for them. Don't forget that the other half of the people sitting outside of Israel also has a Jewish identity, and many of them choose to cultivate their Jewish identity without any Israel being a part of it at all. And that's also I, you know, a part of the equation. If if all Jews, if if in, you know, if Mashiach comes and all Jews in Israel now appreciate world Jewry and understand how great Judaism can be and how, how not everybody needs to live in Israel in order to be Jewish, but Jews in the diaspora at the same time say Israel is exactly the opposite of everything Jewish for me, and I want to cultivate my Jewish identity without Israel being a part of it, then we're still in the same problem. It has to work both ways, you know, we're digging a tunnel towards each other, we need to make sure we meet and not without growing power. So so much work needs to be done on the non-Israeli side, right? On, on the American side or, or in other Jewish communities, so that Israel remains an inseparable part of Jewish identity outside of Israel. Absolutely. I'm wondering, you know, speaking about diaspora Jews, how do you as an Israeli view the diaspora? I mean, I know there's different groups of diaspora Jews. Obviously, there's the US Jews, and then there's Canadian Jews, and European Jews, and Australian Jews, so on and so forth. But if we could just, for the sake of simplicity, sort of group all of them into what we can call diaspora Jews, how do you as an Israeli view the diaspora um, in terms of you know, you, you see these studies and these reports about less and less Jews around the world are feeling connected to, care about, or have any relationship with Israel. Um, some are just apathetic, and then others are actually quite outspoken about Israel and sort of 
the things that they may say in the news or hearsay or rumors or whatever. So I'm just curious, like, how do you as an Israeli absorb and think about those kind of things? So first of all, when you look at the studies, you need to, I mean, there's, there's studies that show you whatever you want to, whatever you want to read as a bottom line. And, uh, and even in that, in that capacity, there's no consensus about what's happening with the, with the next generations. We do see, again, because our, our in this current day and era, our, our, our attention span is, is, is so short and, you know, I'm doing everything with like Twitter and, and, uh, and quick reels on, uh, on Instagram, I hope I don't mix some social networks here with, with my chalk up, but, uh, but there's so, so, I mean, the message uh, needs to be condensed into something so quick and instant that you say, oh, young Jews are getting away from Israel. Ooh, it's not necessarily like this. We hear about those young Jews who get away from Israel because if you have a birthright group and then there's those, uh, you know, those standing up and saying, I, I made it here, but I don't belong here. And, you know, doing their, 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 their uh, um, theatrical um, getaways, then, then you hear about it because, you know, that'll, that'll catch the news. You don't hear about the other 38 kids on the bus who had an amazing experience and feel, and feel much stronger because that's not news. So I, I don't know if the trend is that, you know, one way, but there's no doubt that Israel suffers from uh, image issues. And if you wanna, if you wanna isolate the two factors that are the core of the conflict between Jews and Israel and Jews abroad, are these two are one, the way Israel treats the Palestinians, and number two, the way Israel treats non-orthodox jury um, and all issues of you know of conversion and uh, and marriage and acceptance uh, um, of, of non-orthodox truth now if we do some good work on both issues i think we can we can soften this conflict um, but without the core understanding that we belong to the same family those conflicts are not, even when they're solved, that problem is not really solved because you, you, you only fight for something that you care about. Absolutely. I, I want to ask you though, because you bring up two really interesting points here. You talk about the two issues. You talk about how Israel treats the Palestinians and how Israel as a state treats non-Orthodox Jews. And both of those are valid points, by the way. Um, there might be reasons about, you know, why those things exist. Maybe they're are also reasons for why they should be reformed or changed or, uh, you know, different strategies, so on and so forth. But like, let's be honest alone. I mean, today it's those two issues. Now, let's say tomorrow we wake up and those issues are gone. All of a sudden, everyone loves Israel, Jews and non-Jews included. BS. They'll find another thing to, you know, condone Israel for, which is in my, in my view, not all the time, but a lot of the time, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And I, and I feel that, you know, at a certain point, like, we have to call it what it is. I mean, we, we know the history of the Jewish people, which is a huge sample size, suggests that Jews are always the scapegoat. And the fact that we have Israel since 1948, a lot of sort of that scapegoatedness has gone through the prism of Israel. And there's no reason for us to believe that that'll be different, even if these two issues that you pointed out suddenly go away. So I guess what I'm asking you is like, yes, we have to work to make Israel maybe more inclusive of different types of Jews. And yes, we have to work toward some kind of a solution with the Palestinians. 
Um, but at the same time, like, what we, we just think that once those things are taken care of, like, all is good and well, I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves. And, and I think, how do we educate uh, these Jews that live around the world that point to those two issues and say, well, if only if those things didn't exist, because we know that the media that they consume, whether it's social media, whether it's the news, we know that things that happen on college campuses, we know that those groups that these Jews are influenced by, we know that those groups will continue to pry and to find something else to blame the Jews or to condone and scold Israel, uh, or I should say to, to not condone, to scold Israel. And at a certain point, it's like, you know, what we're, we're now just gonna be in a game of trying to appease people around the world. Like, come on, it seems like a little bit of a double standard. Yeah, but I think, I think the, answer, the answer for this is, is internal versus external. Those two issues that we're, we're talking about now, Israel, Israel's uh, relations to the Palestinians and Israel's relations to, to the non-Orthodox Jews, these are internal family issues. And I'm not looking to, I don't have any expectation that solving our internal issues as a people, as a family, will also make everybody in the world love us. And anti-Semitism is an external issue. Anti-Semitism is not a problem of Jews. It's a problem of non-Jews. They are the ones who are anti-Semite. If we take our family and try to work on those two things that we know that are currently standing as a wedge between us and increasing the rift between us, let's not worry for a second about those who are going to either hate us more or less or not at all or forever will after we solve this issue. I am, you're my brother. And I have an issue with you. The most important thing for me is to solve this issue because we're, we're part of the same family. And the only reason I'm fighting with you and arguing with you is because I care about you. You know, if I, if I, if I drive my car and a car in front of me, there's, you know, the window opens and a, and, a, and a cigarette butt is being thrown out of the window. I would be like, oh my God, terrible. And I'll go on with my life. But if, but if the window behind me with one of my kids opens the, the window and throws a, you know, a piece of gum, then I will pull aside and I'll make sure that my kid understands that this is not the way to go because I care about my kid and I want to make sure that my kid does not live like that and does not help, does not hold this set of values. Anti-Semitism, yes, I mean, we prevail and, and, and you know, and, and, we're, and, and we're getting stronger, I think. But that's you know we have a state and we're and we know how to protect ourselves and we should fight anti-Semitism and I think most of the nations understand it. Yes, those streams of anti-Semitism they they as you said they existed before and they will afterwards. But yeah, but general issues between Jews and Israel and Jews and diaspora, I don't expect them to solve anti-Semitism. I expect them to 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 bridge the rift between us internally as a family. Right, but isn't the so the, the whole religious aspect of the state of Israel and accepting or not accepting certain types of Jews, that's an internal issue for sure. But isn't the Israeli-Palestinian conflict an external issue ultimately in the way that you describe it? Of course, well, of course it's an external issue because there's the Palestinian people and there's the Arab states and there's the UN and whatnot. It's a, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is, is definitely on the, on the, on the, on the, on the table of of every discussion throughout the world. But I'm talking about the internal aspect of it and the fact that today, half of my family are looking at me and saying, dude, what your government is doing on that issue compromises our ability to feel supportive of this Jewish state that we want to belong to. I mean, if, if Belgium 
is voting in the UN against Israel, that's one issue and it's totally external. And if they do it because we treat the Palestinians badly, fine, we need to, we need to sort that out. It's a political, diplomatic, whatever issue. But if Jews in America are finding it hard to empathize with Israel and are, and, are, and are taking it to the extreme of saying, Israel is not a part of my Jewish identity because Israel is against everything that is Jewish that I believe in, then I have an internal issue to solve here. That's, that's, that's what I think we need to, to, to begin with. I agree with that. But I would also say that a lot of those Jews don't know the history of not just how Israel was founded, but Jewish history in general. And so I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't continue to work to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I think we should. But I also think that, you know, we've had, we've had opportunities to have peace with the Palestinians, and we know they've walked away a few times. Uh, today, in 2022, if you were to ask me, are the Palestinians truly ready to have their own state? I think you and I would probably agree they're not. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's nice to, you know, wave the flag of Tikkun Olam and say that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a citizen of the world and I'm all about, you know, humanity and therefore Israel's treatment of the Palestinians goes against, you know, these values. But like, <laughs> you also have to look at the reality of the situation and maybe read a history book or two. And I think if you did that, you would, you would not say that, oh, the Israelis are right and the Palestinians are wrong. Instead, you would say, wait, this is, this is way more complicated and convoluted than I thought. It's not as black and white as a lot of people paint it out to be. And, and maybe I shouldn't criticize Israel as much as I have been because I realize that this is not so simple. And so then maybe the relationship that these folks have with Israel starts to change because they realize that it is a very intense and long-standing conflict that, you know, is not necessarily about who's right and who's wrong. It's not necessarily about tikkun olam. It's not necessarily about the stuff that they claim, you know, it to be about. And, and, and then maybe, you know, they can develop a relationship with Israel in other ways. I, I don't know what, I know you're shaking your head here. What, what do you have to say about that? I think that what you, this notion that you just so articularly, articularly shared, um, I agree 100% with it. And, and so I will sharpen my, my notion about this internal peace between Jews and Israel and Jews outside of Israel regarding the Palestinian issue. I do not think that Israel needs to solve the Palestinian problem in order for Jews outside of Israel to love Israel again. I think that, Israel, that Jews in Israel need to make sure that Jews outside of Israel understand that Israelis see it differently than it looks from you know, CNN or, uh, or, uh, or New York Times. And as long as we're able to disagree, but still engage between ourselves about it, the Palestinians are only secondary to it. I care about them a little less than I care about my own family. Yes, if the Palestinians uh, a conflict will be solved, then many, Amer many liberals, Jewish liberals in America will say, oh, terrific, the Palestinians now have a state. We now feel much better about loving Israel. But then many conservatives will say Israel is selling its soul to the devil and whatnot. But you need to remember, Israeli people here, the ones who vote, were split right in the middle between how the Palestinian issue should be resolved. So I'm leaving this aside for now. I'm talking about the fact that Israeli Jews and diaspora Jews need to be able to keep engaging and understanding that it looks different from two different sides of the world and that we have an issue 
that we need to solve. Um, not the Palestinian issue, the internal Jewish issue of how we see the Palestinian issue. And, and as long as we keep engaging and not saying, okay, you know what? I'm an American Jew, I'm doing pretty well without Israel, I can go my own way. And Israelis saying, we don't need the American Jews anymore. They don't see what we see. We need to take care of our country. I can go my own way. That's gonna be the disaster. That's the, that's the gewalt that we, that we need to make sure because when family members stop talking, it's the end, you know? It goes generations to generations to death. Yeah, absolutely. I wanna get into enter because, you know, it sounds like you had a pretty, pretty phenomenal career, I would say. I mean, I was just reading your bio before we hopped on here. And, you know, you, I think your career started like in 94. And then I mentioned the Hillel's and, but now you essentially jump ship, it sounds like from Hillel. And you start, you're the founding executive director of Enter the Jewish Peoplehood Alliance. And, you know, I'm just curious what motivated you to go in that direction, because that's, that's a pretty gutsy jump. Um, it is, it is. I would, I would, I mean, the way you phrase it now, I, I need to step, you know, to, to, to step up to those expectations of a phenomenal career and the, and the gutsy jump. Maybe it's true. Of course, when, you know, looking at myself, I, I, I don't see it that, that, as that, as that, but, um, but yes, there's a big difference. There's a big difference because my, my, uh, my phenomenal career and the, and the management jobs that I did was, was mostly in the, let's, let's call it the institutionalized um, Jewish world. Whether I was, uh, you know, running a program under Hadassah in Judea, or or being the um, associate director of Masa Israel Journey, or CEO of of of, uh, of uh, the Hills of Israel, and working for Hill International, Shlichut, you know, as part of the Jewish Agency, when I was running around campuses in, in North America, these were all jobs that I loved, and I and I was I was even able to call myself an educator more and more uh, back at that time before I was, you know, mainly pushing papers and, and Excel sheets. But, um, but this was, you know, serving a very big idea. And, and I think the, the interesting thing about ENTER is an opportunity that um, Charles Bronfman and Jeff Solomon, two, you know, the two founders of ENTER, for the first time a few years ago came and said, we see the rift that's beginning to widen between Israelis, is Israelis and, 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 and Jews outside of Israel. And, uh, and there's a risk in, in not talking and we need to make sure that we keep on engaging with each other, just, just along the lines of what you and I just spoke with a, with a Palestinian example. Um, and yes, it was gutsy because there was no, you know, there's nothing big behind it. And, you know, it was Charles Bronfman and a, and a few other committed uh, funds and foundations who decided that they want to give it a shot. And uh, after a long process, they, for some reason thought that I would be a good candidate to, to try and make something out of it. And today, almost, uh, almost three years later, I can tell you that um, it was an amazing decision on my part at least to get away from the institutional Jewish world and to start uh, working as a, as a startup, you know, like, like the young, young guys who are sitting in their parents' basement and come up with crazy ideas. I feel a little bit like that, I can't say that it's totally like this, you know, I am a father of children and I do have a family to support and I can't take all those risks to, you know, and eat cold pizzas with peanut butter every day. But, um, but there is some sort of a startup-ish um, um, taste to it because, um, because we knew the problem and we knew where we want to be 10 years from now. 
but we had no idea what needs to happen tomorrow morning in order to start you know the first the first march of this million kilometers march so um uh, first step i mean so 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 it was very it was it was very interesting to to try and realize what what it is that we need to deal with and even more so what it is that we don't want to touch um because you know so quickly you can you can go back to this old sin of mile wide inch deep trying to do so so many things where you end up doing very little of everything as opposed to really attacking uh, on the front and trying to do it. So with Enter, um, we define three major fields. Uh, one is education, the other is public awareness, and the third is uh, um, research and measurement. Where education is the marathon, if you will, that's where we're gonna be picking it through to the 10, 15 years from now. Uh, public awareness is the sprints because you have to influence the situation now. You can't just wait 15 years until the marathon is over, especially if you want to raise money and you have investors, you know, everybody will commend you for your long-term vision, but then they'll ask, okay, so I want to see results tomorrow morning for this long-term vision. So education is the marathon, public awareness is the sprint, and, and, and measurement and research is the efficiency, because this field of Jewish people that is, is suffering, quote-unquote, from so many you know, duplicated efforts and competition for the same resources, and we think that by mapping it right, maybe even creating a set of indices that will tell you, um, you know, what, what is successful and where the efforts should be concentrated, um, that could really give a big jump ahead to this, uh, to this field of Jewish, uh, of Jewish uh, um, peoplehood and Israel diaspora relations. So that's what we've been doing. And, and, and to be honest with, you know, add COVID to, this, uh, to the recipe. And it was, it was a, an unbelievable ride this past two years. Um, and we've cracked some stuff. We have an amazing program, for example, that now runs in, in high schools. We, we piloted it with 300 kids, and now we have over 3,000. And um, I think if you, if you and I speak in, in five or seven years from now, that's going to be a new way for Israeli high schools to teach conversational English to their kids through encounters with uh, um, counterpart, Jewish counterparts from, from high schools outside of Israel. And um, it's going terrifically well. And many, many schools who've tried, you know, one class with us now want to do the entire cohort. And those who, who did only ninth graders now want to do 10th and 11th and 12th graders too. And it's growing, it's growing. The Ministry of Education endorsed us. Um, it's, 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 it's really fun. And, and, and thinking of my life before this uh, phenomenal career that you referred to, if I wanted to, would, would have wanted to do something this, uh, something like this, wearing a, a Jewish agency hat or a Hillel hat, or a Masahed, I would have had to start, you know, in those places where I visited for so many hours, the legal departments and finance departments of the ministries and the national institutions. And it would have taken two years to come up with a pile of papers only to go back to the field and realize that they're not implementable anymore. And as a startup, no, you do the other way around. You go head first into the field, you attack a school principal who's Meshuga like you are, and you bring the facts and you show it and you escort yourself with a survey and you show the results and I call it the soda effect, because the bubbles, you know, they go up. And, and over there in the high windows, the bubbles are now getting there and people are opening their eyes and say, what, what, how, what, what, wait, wait I, I want to be a part of this. And then, you know, you, you invite them on your own terms as opposed to trying to understand their terms in order to start doing something. So it's fun, it's amazing, it's really, it's really good. And I just hope that our supporters uh, keep seeing it through our quarterly reports, it's where our, our, our our actual successes and that they decide to stay with us as long as as long as possible. 
I will say that we're happy to be um, to grow our our, our foundation, our, our executive funders uh, every year. We had uh, Ron Louder joining us last year, and we had uh, Marcus Foundation joining us this year with actual you know core capacity support. So it looks good, and I and I just you know I can go forever. That's amazing. No, that's really, really inspiring. I'm curious, you know, from the students that that you're serving with this, you know, educational opportunities and materials, you know, what, what are you seeing from them? I mean, to me, that's got to be a completely different experience. I mean, you and I can talk about how we see it from more the maybe adult point of view. But from these kids who, you know, they're they don't have the context and the nuance that maybe you and I have with our experience. I mean, what do you, what do you sing in their eyes? It's, it's, it's an amazing question. I'm so thankful that you asked it because, because it would have been easier for us, as, as you say, to keep on, you know, flying for a bird's eye view and looking at the field and how it's going to change in 10 years, but it's the kids, Josh, you're so right. It's, it's what you see from the kids. Those kids were not engaged. We do not know it before. And we see, and we see how those those students react. You know, in Israel, especially, there's you know they're informal with their teachers. So they WhatsApp their teachers, and they're you know, and they share audio uh, uh, messages on WhatsApp and whatnot. And and we can really see the authentic, genuine um, feel of like, um, you know, messages like, "Oh my God, teacher, you can't believe. Other than we look different, we're just the same. It's unbelievable. I have a new brother. I have a new friend. I have." You know, they, 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 they meet and they, and they start by comparing candies from Israel and Canada and uh, showing their pajamas um, or, or, you know, or, or, or exchanging, um, you know, uh, uh, Instagram and, and Snapchat uh, um, profiles. But then they move into the deeper conversation of what does it mean to be Jewish outside of Israel? And how is it to wake up in a country where everything is Jewish? And all those things that, that evolve and in the end, those kids come up and say, oh, my God, I have a new friend, which I made. Not that, you know, was paired to me with my entire class through my Jewish days. But I made a friend because I was just volunteering to speak English to someone in Israel and help them with their bagrut, you know, with their matriculation exams. And now when I go to Israel or when my family goes or when I read a title about Israel in New York Times or CNN, I know that there's a face that I've known that lives there. It's, it's more about, I'll say it differently, for those American kids, it's much less Israel the concept and much more Israel the place. It's less Israel and more Israelis. And that's the way to connect because when there's a real person with a face behind a concept that is many times negative, then this negativity is not being taken for granted anymore. You happen to pass by a negative headline every two weeks, that's gonna remain, but if you have a face that gives a contra to this headline, then, then you, you, you feel much stronger understanding that that headline is somebody's interest and not the real deal. So with the kids, it's priceless. It's the actual encounter. It's a, it's, a, it's a basic level encounter. It's not as deep as a, you know, as a year in Israel would be, but from the wide part of the funnel, if we bring thousands of thousands of Israelis to into this wider part of the funnel and they will funnel down through those encounters, they will come out understanding much more about their Judaism and the Americans will understand much more about Israel. And, and I think that on its own solves a lot of the problems. So we want to push the numbers. Absolutely. 
I'm curious on the adult education side, because I know adult education is now a big buzz term in the Jewish world, in the States and in other places. Are you doing anything or planning to do anything on the adult education? Because, you know, obviously you have a few generations of Israelis that are now adults and will never go back to, you know, Betsefer, so to speak. And so, you know, in terms of engaging them, I know you talked about uh, public awareness. I'm just curious, you know, maybe on the so-called adult education side of things, if there's anything you can share with us there. So there's there's a couple of things in the in the pipes. Um, I'm not sure I can share everything. Actually, you know, Charles Bronfman happens to be in Israel now um, for the first time after uh, two and a half years, and we're we're um, we're actually promoting now something that may be with a with big visibility. But 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 let's 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 talk about the general idea of of uh, of public awareness and adult education because this is the this is the frame that you brought it under. If you look, for example, at um, the new Jew. If you, I'm sure you saw Guri Alfi's uh, show on Kanahatistan, Israeli public television, which we were not involved with. We, we were approached; it was already in the making, and we and we decided not to not to be involved with that one. But but you take a, you take a, a prime time um, television uh, um, slot on a Monday night um, in a channel that is pretty well viewed, and you bring a familiar comedian's point of view on Jewish life outside of Israel, boom, you're in the face of Israelis. Now, I don't know if the rating was as, as, as big as they expected, and I don't know how much it was used afterwards as an educational tool. I know they're still running around with Buri and with Moshe Samuel, my good friend who created the series, and they're doing a lot of edu adult education using this series. And this is a great example uh, for, for a push note, if you will, pushing the aspira jury into the face of Israelis as, as not through adult education per se, but through exposure, you know, on, on media. So yes, we're, we're working on stuff um, along these lines. And, 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 and I'll tell you, I think it also serves the long-term education. I mean, even when you educate adults, it's for the sake of the children. Because if only a child experiences something good in school, it's not gonna be a topic around the dinner table in the family. But if a child and an adult experience something, and, they, and they, they share it around the dinner table, then it becomes a part of the discourse of the family. It's not just the kid who learned something amazing in physics or computers, and they don't really have anybody to share it with in the family, only with their friends back in the class. Now, if you get the adults involved, it's for the kids to have a sounding board, you know, something to echo it for the experiences that they made, and, and, and then bringing it to the family's table is one of the top goals, I think that will really make a change in Israeli society. I really appreciate you taking the time alone. This has been a really um, enlightening interview, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Josh. I appreciate your time and the great things that you do. Thank you so much. I'm happy to come back anytime you want.